Hi there. Thank you for downloading, listening to, and watching the Lean Into Artcast, the show where a couple of visual storytellers get together, take on various topics that tend to bubble up when one goes off on this adventure of communicating with images. We think hard about this stuff, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is... Hey, I am Rob Stenzinger. I do user experience design, and I also make games, video games, to be specific. Good to see you again. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah. I was away for a couple weeks. Oh, yeah. It's good to see you. There's so much that's happened. I think it <laughs> kind of relates to our uh, our topic, right? But, um, you know, uh, we don't have to jump into it that fast. I mean, <laughs> but, but it is one of those things where every year about this time, there's there's just a whole lot going on where you're one of the organizers for a really awesome conference convention called a2caf and also a pre-conference called incubate yeah, that's right. and yeah i mean you got this this all ages all ages like really like we've sung the praises of it so many times but i don't like to take it for granted like this might be the first time someone sees the show it's the first time they meet you first time they meet me first time they hear about a2caf and uh yeah and you're as one of the one of the co-organizers. You you wear a lot of hats, and and that's takes takes a chunk of time. You know, do you know? Got to put in the work to make the magic. So, uh, well, thanks uh, for that. Yeah, and it, it, it was the tenth anniversary show, the Ann Arbor Comic yeah. Arts Festival, uh, formerly known as the Kids Read Comics Festival. Kids Read Comics being the name of the nonprofit organization that I work with, work for, co-founded. Um, 10 years ago and uh, started off as a comics festival specifically for kids and families. And then we, as the festival grew and changed and, you know, evolved, we uh, turned it into an all ages, you know, like more inclusive to people who read stuff for teens and adults too. So uh, then it became the Ann Arbor Comic Arts Festival, but it's still, I mean, it still has a reputation for being an especially kid friendly show, um, which, you know, mm-hmm for better or worse is, is like uh, a uh, unique characteristic of the show. Uh, I, I might say for worse, <laughs> that's my bias, you know, is that like, I wish there were lots and lots and lots of comic shows for kids. There's, there's more than there used to be, but like, yeah, there's the kids comic con mm-hmm. by Alex Simmons. Um, mm-hmm. Heroes con, it has a reputation for having like, especially kid friendly areas. Uh, Baltimore comic con, right. I think has, the kids love comics group does like a little island pop-up thing inside of there. So oh. it's, it's, it's better than it used to be, but yeah, that, that, that's true. A lot has changed in 10 years, right? I mean, so to have any programming for really for kids at a comic convention wasn't, wasn't a strength. Wasn't, wasn't especially widely available. Right. And it, then, Yeah. yeah. I feel like we're just them. getting into the topic now when we start get heading into this too, because we're talking about like the like the design really? principles behind the show, right? And like what yeah. we were responding to, like in, in twenty years ago when you went to your average Comic Con, um, there was kid friendly stuff there, but it was never organized into any kind of area or um, curating that experience for young people. Really, wasn't it didn't seem to be at the forefront of thought. Of, of the of the organizers mm-hmm. like so the case in point the one i always think of actually there's a couple instances where this happened to me where i would go to cons with all my comics that are primarily aimed at children and they would put me next to the guy who has erotic vampire photography right 
nothing wrong with erotic vampire photography more power to him but it was like an odd pairing to be like table like you know right next door to that so like the parents turn the corner and they cover their kids eyes i don't want you to see the vampirella boobies and then you know and then they walk right past my table uh another one was uh i was mm. tabling next to a guy who had erotic superhero art <laughs> like why am i always next to the erotic guys but um but yeah so like mm, kind of hard not to be <laughs> you know it's it's at some of those events, um, you know, it's, 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 a, there's strong interest and it serves a certain market and there's a, there's sort of a well-matched situation. And so the, it's almost like, well, where do they put the kids stuff? Right. And it's, it's, but that has changed where now there it's more focused and it's not just about, Oh, let's, um, I don't know, like shelter kids and whatever but like like but actually yeah let's let's create safe spaces and send a signal that is intentional and that mm-hmm. I, I think more people are saying like oh hey that's useful it's useful for us as an event it's useful for the people that attend and you know yeah. why not be a little more um thoughtful and organized about that in particular because there's pretty different needs going on very much so. So um, I feel like I feel like we're already in it, but let me uh, just just mm-hmm. for the sake of my own comfort zone, just hit some music to let us know that we're about to get into the topic. This is the format of the show, after all, is that we take usually one topic and try to drill down on as far as we can on it. One half of the show we look at what it looks like; the other half of the show we think about how we feel and how we think about it. And the music indicates when we're hitting each section. So now we're in the part where we say, "What does it look like?" Black. We call that the stingers stinger. <laughs> anyway, this, uh, yeah, it's so the, what, what happened? So this year there's like a 10th, a 10th event. Like what, what happened that was, um, I mean, did you, did you all have a cake? What did you, what did you do? Mm. 10, you know, high tens instead of high fives what happened. <laughs> Uh, a number of things. So, okay, um, where do I begin? Um, so let me let me start with like a little brackety prefacing is that I want to acknowledge the fact that a lot of people work together to make this show happen, right? I, as one of the organizers, I help inform the vision and what the tone and what the like in help do a guest selection and connecting the guests with the different venues. And I, I primarily designed the programming track, like figuring out where people are going to be and when, and when the signings are going to happen at what places are going to happen and organize the events. So that there's not a lot of like um, audience overlap, right? So like, okay, well this is Lucy Nisley's talk. This is going to be primarily adults. So I can put like a kid's event happening at the same time. So there's not, I'm, I'm not uh, competing the events are competing with you. That's mostly what I do. But there's like 826 is uh, 826 Michigan is a nonprofit advocacy group. It uh, does a lot of mentoring for young people. They are one of the venues and partners with this uh, with the festival. The Ann Arbor Art Center. Um, you know, it's an art education institution who provides space and programming and even uh, sponsors the Drink and Draw, where they lay out a bunch of tables with paper and then get a bunch of food and beer. And we sit down and draw together after the show. It's like a way to decompress and socialize in a, a slightly more formalized way where there's like an, an activity to attend to. Right. Um, 
And then there's The Vault of Midnight, who is a bookseller at the show. Green Brain Comics is a bookseller at the show who buy books and sell them on behalf of like our you know bigger name guests who you know maybe don't want a table and do their own hawking. And then the Ann Arbor District Library. The Ann Arbor District Library provides like lunch for the artists. They got the tables and the chairs, and they they do the, the you know they give us their space to to work within, and they provide us with staff to help manage all of the events that are happening. And then there's the Kids Read Comics organization themselves, Dan Mishkin, my wife Ann, Edith Donnell, uh, Dan Merritt and Katie Merritt of Green Brain Comics. So a lot of people all come together to make this thing happen. I am just one little piece of the machine, and my reflections are my own. I don't speak on behalf of the entire organization. Um, and because the event got more big, what? I'm sorry for laughing at that. I know. Well, it's, yeah. that's, uh, it, we, I, think, I think we understand. and it's not. Um, it, this isn't you waving your heavyweight uh, kid-friendly event championship belt around and, and talking all <laughs> sassy about how you're the best, right? It's, which would be fine, actually. Actually, why don't you do that? Well, no, okay, sure. And that, that, I think that's fair. But I also think it's equally important to celebrate how many people come together to, like, the thing I said, I, I was interviewed on the, the radio just before the show happened, and, like, one of the things I said to the interviewer is, uh, you know, it's, it's astonishing to me just how many people in Southeast Michigan get together to tell kids that they matter. Right. Like that's I think mm. that's a powerful thing. And I think that's something that should go that that should be very, very much celebrated. And I think it should be high tens all around to all those people, because, um, you know, it's 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 profound. You know, it's, it's like something like six thousand something people came through th- this weekend at the show, um, which is that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of people. Um, that's a lot of lives mm-hmm. that you that you engage with and, and hopefully change for the better. Right. Um so, but but I just also want to say that because the show has gotten more complex over the years and it has so much offsite stuff happening now, I just don't see it all anymore. I just I am not aware of everything that's happening at the show. So my experience is also limited by the fact that I have this narrow track that I travel through in this larger machine. So and and yes, we had a debriefing meeting this week where I and the KRC organization like sort of talked about okay, what went right, what went wrong, what can we improve on, you know. That, that kind of thing. So I got a broader sense of what happened at the show. But um, I just want to put that, that bracketing on it just to make sure that we're very clear about how we're going to approach this thing. But like, so you say, what did we do different this year? Um, one of the things that Anne did this year that I was very excited to be a part of and very proud of how it turned out was um, a free comic book day book. As a matter of fact, if you can, if you can hold the phone just for a second, I can grab it. It's like right in that room right there. I'll mm-hmm. go grab it. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. So, a two calf. I so wish I. Not that it's important to mention this. I'd love to go and take part in this event, and I didn't really do so this year. It was a tough ready. choice. I'm so curious about this though. What's what's this? Um, so a free comic book day comic. Yeah. So um, oh. Anne Anne edited uh, an anthology, a comics anthology of uh, featuring art by or stories uh, relating to the number ten for our 10th anniversary. And you can see like Matt Fazell did our mm-hmm. cover and has the big Matt Fazell. Totally. That's a Matt Fazell cover. Look at that. Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, crowd scene of tons of vignettes of, of, uh, of honestly, there's, there's a bunch of homages to characters in there too. I saw a dog oh, man yeah. come to think of it. Yeah. And there's yeah. Vordak who yeah, has come to the show oh. frequently. Right. Um, that's cool. Vordak, the incomprehensible. Um, 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's like a green brain for Green Brain Comics. So yeah, he he put a, like a whole bunch of little inside jokes inside of here. Um, but then nice. like, so it's an anthology of comics by people who have been a part of of the Ann Arbor Comic Arts Festival over the years. So people like Chad Sell of Cardboard Kingdom, Maris Wicks of um, various science comics, um, and then let's see. Oh, and also uh, teens. Teenage artists who have tabled at the show since they were children. So this is by Ellie Moody, who is now oh just graduated gosh. high school. She started tabling at the show in 2012, right? So seven years ago, she's just a little kid, and now she's doing like you know she's a published artist in this this book. So this this anthology mm-hmm. was uh, published by the Ann Arbor District Library and edited it and got the artists together and like gave them the themes and guided them. And this was printed in time for Free Comic Book Day and given out at stores all over Southeast Michigan on Free Comic Book Day. And it advertises on the back the festival. So and then. Um, the art from this was actually collected into an art show at the Ann Arbor District Library, which is actually on display now, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, mm. so yeah, that's one thing that we did this year. And again, it was mostly Ann who put this together. All I did is I contributed uh, two pages of art with Dan Michigan. Um, did the 10 greatest comic readers of all time with this ghostly apparition <laughs> who is the spirit of comics past. So mm-hmm. that's one. It's good to hear. Like, I know that there's a lot of um, very sincere, hardworking folks behind this event with so much heart and so much laser focus that I, I actually thought, uh, I'm being a little impish with this question, but I actually thought, uh oh, what if they didn't actually do anything but just make a great event? <laughs> Which is great. But hopefully, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth celebrating that as well. So cool. Yeah, that's great to see the comic. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a really cool artifact to commemorate this this really cool thing that we built together over the mm-hmm. years, and then th- we had a lot more guests this year, um, and and we had like kind of a multi generational thing going on in that we had Wendy and Richard Peeney of ElfQuest as two of our special guests who were like you know they just finished a forty year run of their comic ElfQuest. They started out self publishing in the seventies, and. When they walked into the room, it was like electric because not only were there a whole bunch of like young people who, you know, are familiar with the comic, but a lot of the tabling artists, the adult artists there were like, you know, like legends just entered that room, right? Like <laughs> people like Zach Giolongo and Ben Hackey are standing next to me going like, oh my God, it's them, you know? <laughs> and and they did a little talk and then like, you know, we had some, uh, some you know, people like Judd Winnick, Raina Telgemeier, um, Jer- Jerry Kraft, Raul III, Lucy Nisley. And so now these are like more like contemporary stars, people who have been like, you know, Raina's rise to uh, celebrity was only in the last, what, like eight or nine, ten years? Maybe 11 years? No? Nope. Holy cow, has it really been like 12 or 13 years? Anyway. It's, yeah, her, right. I mean, she's she's been pretty huge for a long time. It's just a matter of... Um, l- it, she's like Metallica that didn't get at it, basically, right? It's where she just kept going, like, here's another one, here's another one, yeah. here's another one, and just building this mega fortress of success. But anyway, um, that's but the, that. Wow, that's so what, you have what the, a great group. So you have that. You have like this, this, you know, this these legendary status people, these current like contemporary stars, and then a bunch of kids tabled this year. We had a lot more young people tabling at the show, and there was this moment where a parent said to me in like the Friday night gallery talks when the peenies had did a little talk and then Judd Winnick did a little talk. Um, 
They said, like, it's amazing to me that my child is tabling at this show where there's these these multiple generations of authors are all eff- effusing all of this love for the medium. And it's so cool that my, you know, 12-year-old gets to st- be, bear witness and be a part of this. In, like, it's like they're being um, christened into the into the the mm-hmm. lifestyle, right? Um so that, that that was something that was unique about this year that felt very special. Uh, and I was grateful for that because that was not, I don't want to say it was like thoughtfully designed that way. It just, it kind of coalesced into that, into that moment. Um, it seems like a natural byproduct like, yeah. of, of keeping at it, growing the event and, um, and just in being that sort of rallying point for, for a community. Mm-hmm. And, and now, yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a byproduct. What a wonderful byproduct. And the show has always been like, speaking again, only for myself, but I know that my co-organizers agree with this, this premise is that the vision was always to create a show that celebrated comics in a way that was more hands-on and participatory than the traditional comic convention. The traditional comic convention, you go, you meet somebody famous, get your picture taken with them, get an autograph maybe. Um, and you have a meaningful exchange in, in terms of like, you know, I'm a fan of everything you do. I really enjoyed this work or that work that you did. Um, but, and that's, that's really cool, but it only goes so far in my opinion. Like I wanted, uh, our show to be something where you draw with your heroes. And so there's a lot of emphasis on participation. And, uh, so we had, our, our kickoff event is an event called Iron Cartoonist, led by Zach Gialongo. He does this event all over the country at different comic festivals, which is like it's a game show where you have three contestant artists at flip charts and you have three judges in a panel, kind of like American Idol style. And there's these various drawing challenges that Zach puts out there. Um, like, for instance, okay, give me an animal. Okay, a velociraptor. Okay, give me, uh, give me an occupation. Well, he's a temp worker. You have to put those two things together and you have 60 seconds to do it kind of thing. Um, but at, at A2CAF, we, we put a different spin on it where two of the contestants are celebrated authors and one of the contestants is a local kid cartoonist. And we've been doing this for the last couple of years now. And this year, it was this, this adorable, charming little kid named Chloe who was, was a student of mine when I was still in Ann Arbor. And uh, we did this whole gag where, like, we announced the the contestants, like, it's Ruth McNally Barshaw. Yeah, everybody cheers. Celebrated author. We've got celebrated author Judd Winnick. Everybody cheers. Yeah, Judd Winnick. And they're like, oh, where's the third contestant jersey? I'm like, I didn't get it. Did you get him? I didn't get him. And I'm, and then I'm like, I'll do it. And everybody's like, no, we don't want you to draw because we have to humiliate you because you're the local guy that everybody knows. Uh, and then we, you know, talked to Chloe and standing up going like, I'll do it. You know, like this little, this little tiny 10-year-old stands up like, I am Spartacus. <laughs> You know, and so then she she competes in this, and she actually won fair and square. Like she she was like contributing, you know, really good gags, really creative solutions to problems. And uh, then she, they have this thing with wrench cards where you can win wrench cards, and you have to like you can give them to your opponent. So like Ruth McNally Barshaw's wrench card, which had to be blindfolded. You know, Judd Winnick's wrench card was <laughs> he he had to draw his drawing on a paper plate on top of his head where he couldn't see, kind of thing. Um, so, you know, she, she, she won the wrench cards, then employed the wrench cards, and she won the game. And she was, she was this year's Iron Cartoonist at A2CAF. And I posted a picture on uh, Instagram about it. It's like it was a really cool moment where, uh, you know, local kid cartoonists and professional cartoonists draw side by side to create a really cool event for the local community. 
Um, so yeah, it's, uh, that's meaningful stuff for me. That, that, that's, that's the stuff wow. that gets me out of the bed in the morning. <laughs> um, it's what a, th- what an, what an awesome, what an awesome thing. And, and it's, it's like anyone, anyone who hears this, I imagine like what kind of things it's, it's, you know, what, what happens when one downloads a podcast, finds out about the events that they maybe missed. Right. And like, what do you do? Right. What do you do? Where, where it's like, Oh gosh, I want to help. I want to be part of this or, or I would like to, you know, find something anything like this anywhere near me, right? Because not everyone can travel to Ann Arbor, Michigan mm-hmm. during even year. Um, he looks off into the distance and sighs, but then um, <laughs> the, <laughs> you, you were missed. Um, then, you were definitely missed. And I think I told you this privately oh, is like, there were multiple moments where we were speculating on what would Rob say to what just happened here? <laughs> <laughs> well, how would Rob address this, this, this topic that we're all discussing so heatedly, right? And we were all saying, like, there would be a pause. He would look thoughtful. He would tilt his head. And he would say something incredibly measured and inclusive and thoughtful. <laughs> so your spirit was that's very kind. Bit. That's funny. Uh, that's that's I wasn't fishing for that, but that's really, really, really kind. Um, I would imagine the game would be, would there be hand wringing? or hooting <laughs> like like yeah go for it or like oh, i don't know about this yeah <laughs> anyway so um wow it's uh we've covered so many things about the event in different episodes in the past and i think that any of them would be evergreen you think about um you know learning other things, other kinds of like what wonderfulness that happens at, at an A2 calf. Um, but there is that, there is that puzzle that I don't know if we have an answer for it, where if, if someone's like, I want to become part of it, well, I guess you can think about and, and then watch the cycle, the cycle that happens as far as announcing the event is happening and here's the schedule and here's the, here's the sign up as far as if you, you know, people who would like to apply to table. And then typically those folks are, are, um, I mean, you're asked to think when you when you reach out to an event like this, um, what do you want to share? What like what do you do with your work that turns it into like a participatory, um, uh, engaging thing? And then and then you you end up collaborating with the event to to figure your thing out. And the event Jersey, <laughs> because <laughs> because that's the part that you know that's one of that main hats main hats that you wear is yeah. that programming aspect. But yeah. then you know, so there's like a whole story that like that has been captured of you know many times, including like the like how the event come about and all that stuff. It's been you know explored a lot, but um, but that whole like um, if you're not seeing it happen, I, I wonder. I wonder if that's like maybe a different kind of topic. Like how do we spread that? Right. So mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's one thing to say a big ask to be like, well, I would love, I'm, I'm so inspired. I want to do a similar event, right. Mm-hmm. To actually put on some kind of conference like this. It's a, it's a big endeavor. You, you, you named so many organizations and individuals that, that, that make, make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just kind of thinking in that and wearing that hat of someone hearing this and going like, wow, I would love to do something about this. And I wonder what the options really are. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and, other and, than 
And the the first the first year we did it, yeah. it was one day. So we, it wasn't as big. Like now it's three days, right? It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But in, in the first the first year it was one day, and it was only like four and a half or five hours long. So it wasn't that long an event. So the programming track was a lot easier to build because like, what do you got for, hmm. in four hours? You can do maybe three things. Um, at least like three hands-on things, and then like maybe you can have some like like mm-hmm. drop-in crafts and stuff. Um, but uh, and and then also like in terms of like setup and teardown, like you've got the morning and the evening to do that. So there's really not. I mean, it's a it was a big endeavor, and we were all exhausted when we finished our first year. But and I think I think the first year we had seventy five people come. <laughs> Like seventy five people came through the door in, in the first year we did it, right? So very very small show, um, but and and there were no other. We had one partner. We had like the Chelsea District Library was our our hosting org, and they provided the tables and the chairs. And um, I don't. I think there was some light refreshments. I think there was like coffee and maybe like 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 uh, some pastries, but like there wasn't lunch yet. That was not a thing. Um, and uh, as far as like the the, the programming spaces, well, that, the library. You mentioned had, lunch where like the the tabling artists are are, uh, yes. are offered like, hey, there's a little you know little break room, take a break. Yeah, because a lot of events you're you're you you doing that expo work, and especially if you you're doing that plus a little bit of programming, uh, I mean, you can run yourself down. And so, like that thoughtfulness to to supply some uh, something for the artists is so uh, so great. It's a great. Well, and, and that that wasn't um, even you know we didn't example of how. Yeah, we we didn't even you know we're not the first ones to do that. This was something that I learned from going to like craft fairs. I went to the Detroit Urban Craft Fair like ten years ago, mm-hmm. and I remember recording this on an art and story episode, and I was just I was so burnt out on going to traditional traditional comic cons where artist alley is largely it, you're not. Let me put it this way. I never felt like I was a celebrated part of something bigger. I felt like I was a person renting a table to try to sell my stuff. That that was the the relationship as mm-hmm. it was spelled out in the way it was like implicitly uh, it, the exchange was between you know the, the the show producers and us artists. And so then I did, did the Detroit Urban Craft Fair one year, and like they were like, "Oh yeah, um, we're, everybody gets a sandwich. What kind of sandwich would you like?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> You're feeding us?" Like, and I remember, I, I remember very clearly. <laughs> on the Art and Story podcast going, they fed us! They fed us! It's such a little thing, but it meant so much because it meant we didn't have to go hunting for food, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, like, those experiences, one internalizes and, you know, you bring it into your... It is. It does, yeah. And it's so it doesn't have to start as big. It's it's like when we we see a thing in progress... A, a, a polished effort that it's, it's been improved over time. Um, it, that can be a daunting form, but it didn't start that way. I, I like that. I, that's okay. So hey, you, you can start a lot smaller. So, okay. I mean, and not that we're doing a whole mini episode within the episode. It's just like, I, I like, thanks for going with me on that little train of thought. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. this sounds so great. We're beaming all this, like, wow. Yeah, this is so fun. And like, now what? It's like right, okay, right. great. I caught your I caught your energy. Now what? <laughs> I I had uh, this. This is like it's going to sound like a divergent topic, but it, I think it, it ropes back in, and it's like it's partially my philosophy about things. But I think it's something that's worth. It's a conversation I had that I think is worth thinking about whenever we're making things. Is I was I was meeting with uh, a local arts advocate here in Columbus, and 
um, she asked me if I was how I felt about not teaching in Michigan anymore. You know, and I said, you know, well, it, it was hard to say goodbye to my students, but one of my students who's now in his twenties took over teaching for me, took over the, the job at the art center and is now continuing on with the comics programming. And she leaned back and clapped and said, that's what we're supposed to do. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's like you want to make something that doesn't, you want to render yourself obsolete eventually. You want to make something that can be carried on with or without you. Um, and so to that end, it's like, uh, yeah, we're celebrating this thing, this A2CAF thing, but I don't have any special sense of ownership of the spirit of the thing. And I would love nothing more than for there to be something like this in every state. Um, Everybody should have access to something like this, um, and I, and it would be even better because if it if somebody else is doing it, then it's going to be colored by their community's needs, right? Don't just carbon copy the thing, but make a thing in the similar spirit, but make it for what your community needs. Um, that would be marvelous. Um, so yeah, and that's what we're supposed hmm. to do. We're supposed to make something that is that is uh, healthy, that is good for our community, and is replicable, right? It's sustainable. Mm-hmm. I, it does. It sounds more possible too. Where, you know, like if if this isn't a, because I, we we have a we're fairly informed that there's only like a handful of of things that are, are are along this line where the needle points more toward, you know, inclusive kid focus overall. Even if it's all, both you know, uh, young adults and young kids. That's you're kind of hitting the full broad audience of of um of youth right Mm -hmm. and there's not that not as many events targeted exactly at that related to comics so so yeah Yeah. it's um so right let's uh, let's see what happens i wonder i wonder if if yeah whoever whoever this message reaches if that if i don't know if that message takes hold and uh you know whatever you end up doing it'd be great to hear about it it'd be great to amplify your signal yeah yeah, and I would say if we could contribute to that, if if I were to offer any unsolicited advice to anybody who's listening, who's like, you know, I'm an artist and I would love to connect with some local communities to start something like this, is I would say it needs a champion at the outset. You need somebody who really believes in it, who's ready to commit a lot of unpaid hours to it. Like Anne, Anne and I mm-hmm. and Dan Michigan from January through April put in a lot of volunteer hours to make this thing like our parts of it happen, you know, like when it comes to like designing the table layout and selecting the guests and doing the programming track and building the, the guest list on the website and, you know, providing all this information to the library so they can get the programs printed and, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, I guess you could call it sweat equity that you have to put in on the front end. But if you do that and if you, um, I feel like what happened with us, and maybe your results, your mileage may vary, um, but what happened with us is because Dan and Ann and I like stood in the front and became champions of this thing very early on, other champions came to help us share the load, right? Um, so, yeah, the Art Center wasn't always involved. 826 Michigan wasn't always involved. We accrued that support through proving the case a couple years in a row, right? Because there were there were early years where we had people who partnered with us who didn't really understand what the partnership entailed until you know after the fact. So not naming mm-hmm. names, but anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, 
every event will have its it, its history of of um uh influencing factors and all that stuff where uh it's 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 encouraging to know again that the the bigness that it is that this event is right now it um it doesn't events don't have to start that big in fact it'd be really hard to just start in, mm-hmm. initially that big unless you did have like a big funded team or something i don't know like you would it would it take a lot to 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 just really replicate like the bit all the features right but starting small like get you know like one venue um a few tables a little bit you know, like not as many hours not as many days oh it's that's great well, it makes it, it more like it, com- planning a complicated you know party (laughs) and in in scope compared to you know definitely where you're describing it is now and i would also say with the starting small thing i would actually i i've got a case to make for why smaller is actually better in a lot of cases like so something that ann and i Hmm. talk about a lot when we're doing the programming track with a2 cav is there's different different people in organizations have different ideas of what success means and you try to have meetings to talk about okay let's try to get a like a general sense of how we are all defining success in this thing right and something that becomes something is that has been uh an interesting challenge to navigate is do we measure success in terms of butts and seats or do we measure success in terms of lives changed Right, and and that's a tension, and I think that's a healthy tension to have because butts and seats seats is a is a um, a useful measurement, right? This many people heard about the show, this many people showed up to the show, and maybe we don't know exactly what all, all those experiences meant, but we have a number, and a number is a really cool thing to put in somebody in front of somebody who funds something, right? Uh, you you put in this much money, it does. right? It, it it's a it's a useful metric, however. A conversation Ann and I have every year is, you know what, if only 10 people go to this thing, that means there's going to be 10 kids who have like very, like um, a lot of access to an author that they have a lot of respect for, or they have a lot of access to somebody who has a lot to teach. And, you know, we talk about in education all the time big class sizes. Oh, they're packing more kids in the classroom. So they're having less meaningful experiences in the classroom. Well, yeah. So let's make the classroom small. Let's make these workshops so that maybe only six kids go to it. And somebody might say, well, it wasn't a success because only six kids showed up. Well, I would say it's actually in its own way. It's way more successful because those six kids got a dynamite experience that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Right. Every one of those kids had every chance to have every question answered that they might have had. So uh, I would say when you think about starting small, don't, I would say don't even think about it as being small. Think about it as like being very, very meaningful for this core constituency. And, as, and when we left, I have a very clear recollection of you know, exhaustedly walking down the street with Dan Michigan after the first KRC. And he put his arm around me and he says, I think we changed some lives this weekend. You know, and I was like, yeah, I think we did. It wasn't a whole lot of them, but the ones who did show up, they had a pretty meaningful experience. So there's there's a case to be made for even keeping something small. Um, That's you make some strong you make some very strong points. And uh, the 
the idea of having access to rich experiences and uh, I mean, it's, it's hard if, if, if you're attending a thing and you're in a crowd and it's, it's not as easy to, to ask a question for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, even just the raw logistics of it and the time it takes to get to everyone, more people, you know, less access. And the, the, um, I remember, you also remind me of the tension between like the whole stakeholders thing and, and like fellow collaborators or investors or what have you, but there's, um, like figuring out what, what, how you define success and you like, you didn't say these words, but it reminded me of the tensions between qualitative measures and quantitative measures where a lot of times it's, it's easy to get quantitative measures in a way because you can instrument the environment. You can have a, um, the, the, the measures as far as when people walk indoors or, or stuff like that. Right. Um, big buildings, a lot of times have these systems and it's like, Oh, we got this number, the number ticked. We can see this number is bigger than that number. Yay number. But then you don't know, um, the why, you know, like, or, or what happened even within that, that number hides a lot of stuff. So on one hand, the bigness of the number can convince people to say, well, I feel like funding something. Look at Mm -hmm. this number. Mm -hmm. But it also has the, um, the, 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 um, the qualitative kind of measures when you get in and you talk with people and you find out what they say and why they're doing what they're doing and all that. It's, I mean, it's the tension between quantitative numbers for any project and the, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then how do you get in? Cause it's typically harder. It's all, it's harder to get and make meaning out of the, uh, out of the qualitative, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it because you're, you're more, um, you're more connected and aware of, well, the, the story and the meaning that you are uh, putting into the world and what people are getting out of it because you chose to invest in the awkwardness of conversations and then the thoughtfulness of after the conversations, unpack it like data and get some more meaning out of it. Yeah. And then put it into something that your team and the stakeholders can, can get something out of. It's more work than the, than the door thing um, yeah. or any other numbers thing you know, ticket sales, what have you. But anyway, it's an inter- interesting tension. Yeah. Um, it is. It is. And, and it's, it's, it's something you have to have a lot of conversations about with the, the, all of your stakeholders and your team. Right. Um, and it's, I, I think that, uh, like you said, it's, it, it can be an awkward conversation, but I think it's, it's a very, very much worthwhile conversation. So, um, Okay, is it, are we at like a good point to take a break and maybe dive a little so. bit more into like this idea about like creating an ethos and creating an event? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, cool. let's do that after our break. All right, so um, in about a minute and thirty seconds or so, we're gonna talk about more of like the the whys of of doing this stuff and the challenges of like defining what your mission is and um and finding the right partners to help make the the mission happen and what changes the moment you get other people involved uh but before we talk about that we got to thank some people who make this show possible and those people happen to be folks who support us on patreon where's the music there it is Patreon.com slash Lean Into Art is the website. What is it? It's a way for you to give us a monthly upvote. You could say, hey, I believe in Jersey and Rob. I believe in the work that they do, and I want to help make it more sustainable by contributing as little as a dollar a month. And I want to thank five people who have been doing exactly that. First up, Dave Say. Thank you, Dave, for believing in us and what we do. Dave Say, the creator of the Emergent Task Planner, which we talk about on the show quite a bit. Although, to be fair, I have not mentioned it in some weeks. So 
uh, I, I'm, I'm due to do a little bit of talking about the ETP. You can find Dave Say on Twitter at Dave Say. Uh, also, Merjam. Thank you, Merjam, for supporting the show. You can find Merjam on Twitter at M-Y-R-J-A-M-V-D-V. These will all be linked in the show notes, by the way. And the reason we mention them is because they might be people that you want to talk to about art because they're getting something out of this thing that you're getting something out of. Also, Catherine Sugru. Thank you, Kat. You can find Catherine on Twitter at Kat with a K, Sue, S-O-O, Gru, as in Gru the Wanderer, G-R-O-O. Thank you, Catherine. Also, Nate Marcel. Thank you, Nate, for believing in us and what we do. You can find uh, Nate Marcel. I got the wrong Twitter handle there. So Nate Marcel, I think, is Great Sea Monster. I don't know why I put the wrong Twitter handle in the notes. Okay. <laughs> It'll be correct in the show notes. That's what I'm, you get for trying to memorize all the Twitter handles. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> it's amazing how you, you, you'll, you'll pull them out of nowhere. I've seen show notes where Jersey's like, this name, that Twitter handle. Boom, boom, boom. Like a steel <laughs> trap. That mind. But also, uh, Chris right. Watkins. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I don't have Chris's Twitter handle, but we thank him for his support of the show. So, patreon.com slash lean into art is the website. Okay. Ready for some more music? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Your support does mean uh, so much to us. Very encouraging. All right. Well, let's do some transition music. Mm. And now we're into that mysterious area where you know it's like creating an event in an ethos reflecting on michigan Mi- michigan mission advocacy and how it informs a gathering um yeah the again i keep going back to that the so one of the things that um on friday night at the, where we had the gallery talks to like sort of pre-kick off the show was that more than one person remarked on how there is a at A2CAF there is this vibe this this spirit in the air where everybody is almost tearfully expressing their love of the medium of comics um, everybody that we bring to the show has that attitude and uh, the people that we the jury to table at the show we specifically look for people who have that sense of celebrating and advocacy for the medium who aren't just out to you know um, be get into comics so they can get a movie made or get into comics so they can be a celebrity. Um, these are people who just like have like a real deep appreciation for the medium. And when you put all those people in a room, that's what you're going to get. You're, you're going to be swimming in this notion of everybody's just like, aren't comics the best? Um, and it was cool to hear from people who were just like, you know, parents and people who maybe weren't practitioners of comics, but were just there because they liked the medium. Mm-hmm sort of reflecting that back to us saying like, I don't know what you guys did, but that's what I'm feeling right now. So like, how do you get there? Um, it's, it's an interesting question. How in the world could have that? Let's see. Uh, was it right there from the beginning? Was it really the like, I mean, clearly it's represented in your own feelings, but like, I mean, I've held, I, you know, I've been at lots of gatherings and hosted lots of things and, and uh, started lots of projects and all that. And not the, the same feeling I might've assumed others had it, but then oftentimes the, the people have like, there's not as, as strong of a common ground that you're describing. Did you, was that like there from the beginning? Hmm. Like assumed it would always, well, I mean, from the, from the organizer standpoint, as the event grew. I, I think that's part of it. Um, it was there definitely in spirit with, I mean, with the thing, I'm, I'm not terribly interested in going deep into like a history of the founding of the show, but 
Dan Mishkin and his spirit and his point of view mm-hmm. was a, an important and I think a um, very influential factor in the development of the show. He, I feel like he is the, um, in, in, a, in a, I think in a very real way, he is the spirit of the event. Um, and he does a lot of face-to-face time with the guests in Artist Alley talking with them not necessarily to preach it at them but to just demonstrate that that what it looks like to love comics that much right um dan is not a didactic human being but he is he's very much a uh he's he's a great example that he just like sort of leaves this glowing trail behind him and everybody's like i want whatever that was i want to be more like that you know um so i would say that it, it was there from the beginning with the founding uh, I do remember that not everybody in the early years understood the mission uh, in terms of like guests. And that became something where we got a lot more hands on mm. in jurying the show and like really like looking at uh, the people who are asking for tables, um, look, looking at their websites, looking at their presence online, look at the way they conduct themselves on Twitter and so on. Um, really looking for that in the, the, the like doing like some serious research on the guests. Now, now, that could become quickly unsustainable. Thankfully, we only have 43 tables to work with at the show. So that means like maximum we're going to get 60 guests. That's, so it, while that's a lot of work, it's not, um, it's not impossible for three or four people to do, right? If it was something like TCAF numbers, no way. We couldn't mm. do it. Um, I don't know how. I don't know how we could. Um, but so it became something where we took more of a hand in the actual selection process. And it took it. It was also years of Dan interacting with the guests and doing a lot of emailing with guests. You've been a guest there. You know how many emails you get from Dan about it. Very lengthy ones sometimes, mm-hmm. really helping you understand like what what our our primary objective is. Right. So we've had some instances where people. Well, are, and he, he models helpfulness too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in those emails, I mean, he's solving problems. He's mm-hmm. listening to people, and then he's bringing that back to the group and. And he's solving problems as he's telling, um, telling the story of where things currently are at in the timeline. If, oh, need you to do this, and here's why we need you to do this, and that means so much, and whatever. And he's providing so much context. I wonder though, it just you know when I when I think about starting projects, there is something to that, like like what you pulled off, your team, you all, you, all the, the that community uh, being so. Um, honestly, specifically true to an idea about yeah. that that I, I think it's a it's a powerful tool. It, it, it's it's all too easy to like to to lose sight of that, and 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 it makes sense that like I mean you're not robots and you can't predict the future, so like that got tested. It sounds like where you know like you have this idea, and it takes it 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 sort of seems to inform and help connect and collaborate and have a shared purpose among a certain, you know, critical mass, but then all of a sudden more people are coming in and, mm-hmm. and then, oops, they don't have the same idea. Like every single system, anything that we make, when people show up that have the same motivation, everything's fine. But as soon as people don't have the same motivation, things aren't fine. And this is, I say this from experience in creating computer systems and putting them on the internet because people who don't have the same motivation as like your, your main users or even like, maybe you're super expert users who start to, you know, try to, you know, break and remake stuff because they're just so into it. And that, that 
goes outside of your intention. And all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, I have to figure this out now and, and wrangle or, or embrace it or something. Right. Or like, even, even, um, helping make decisions about who to include down the road. Like, so for instance, one discussion that we got hmm. into this past year or a couple of years ago is there's, there's a band called the shakeups who have attended the show a couple times hmm. now. They came back this year and they are a band who does, um, performances based on and they do like they do themed costuming um sort of like it, it, it's part of this whole you know guar right like where they're all in costumes they're playing personas on stage right <laughs> but not what not, a comparison well guar is like the earliest example i can think of where it was like they're like well we're so kissed. themed absolutely yeah. themed yeah. and like they're in costumes and like so there's like a theatrical aspect to the performance of the music but these guys are like cartoons. So it's like they had a Scooby-Doo uh, costume and they did a performance, like a set mm -hmm. about Scooby-Doo music. And in the past, they've done like Voltron and they've done uh, My Little Pony and all sorts of different mm -hmm. uh, popular cartoon series. And so the question is naturally going to arise. What are they doing at our comics only festival? Like what, what are they bringing? Like wh why would we give them a table? instead of a cartoonist because we've had this discussion before about like are we gonna have retailers at the show no we're not gonna have retailers it's only for cartoonists mm. or it's only for people who make comic books right um and so this this sentence that i use to measure my, my at least what i bring to the discussion is i think about and again we can come to this idea of this coat of arms this 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 defining principle that you can test ideas against does it perform the following right and so for me it's the always are we creating meaningful interactions between kids and comics is this is this a meaningful interaction in some way and having seen the shakeups perform before um they create a high energy event that celebrates cartoons and celebrates stuff that is comics adjacent in a way that a hands-on workshop just can't in that it's very physical you know, there's there's dancing, there's moving about. It is, uh, it's a highly energized transmission of affection for a kind of reading and uh, watching experience that is adjacent to what we do. So that was how we test the idea and proved that it was it was workable, right? They belong here because they create meaningful experiences for young people, right? And so it made the decision making process easy. That that's how we've at least. That when we're having the discussions on filtering these kinds of things, that's what I always bring to the table. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and keep, you know, keeping your intentionality and like, but that that is a lot of work. That is, a, you know, keeping the, um, because, you know, if it's easy to get, you know, your res your resources exhausted and, um, and or encounter situations where it's like, well the system we created, it hasn't been tested in this way. Uh, now what? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what, um, all right. What are some other things as far as the, the ethos of the event and, and, um, like the, I guess we talked a little bit about the advocacy, mm -hmm. but, um, what, what kind of things, let's see. I don't no, well, go ahead. If you have it, you have an angle. Um, I do have an angle. Um, so there's this term that people use mm -hmm. called buy-in, right? And I mean, you, you probably wind up talking about this when you're with groups that you've worked with before, right? Like, what do we mean by when we say buy-in? Mm -hmm. 
No. Oh, well, okay. So it, it means that uh, there's some kind of agreeableness and willingness to participate or, um, you know, allow, right? So buy-in happens in a bunch of different ways as far as awareness of the event in the minds of, of the, the community, uh, willingness to, to show up for it and maybe expect the things that the event is really good at then they've probably bought in more than just sort of showing up because like, I don't know, it's Saturday. Um, <laughs> then uh, the, but then you've, you've got the folks who are, who are tabling and helping, uh, you know, perform the, the different interactive experiences and like their buy-in, their buy-in. I mean, it's, it's so much preparation and all that. It's so it's like the behavior that contributes to the thing, having a successful outcome, and I guess you could say buy-in could be that just crossing that initial threshold saying like, I'm willing to commit to this. I think I get it for the right reason kind of thing. That's, that yeah. seems to be buy-in. That's, that's why I pitched it to you because I knew you would describe it in a very holistic and very clear way and much more succinctly than I could do it. Uh, yeah, and, and, and as you described, there's multiple angles and levels to what buy-in means for different groups. So, yeah, we talk about like hosting orgs and partnering organizations. There's a certain amount of buy-in that you got to get like, well, okay, maybe 826 isn't going to provide us with any kind of funding, but they're going to give us space. They're going to give us like a really cool space, and they're going to reach out to their constituency and their mailing list to let them know that these celebrity cartoonists are coming to do a workshop in their space, right? So there's, there's, there's that kind of exchange of value if you want to get transactional about it. But um, there's also like something that uh, I don't want to say, I don't think it was necessarily calculated in this way, but it was like a kind of buy-in that I discovered through just through my advocacy for young people is we've been doing this for 10 years now. So there are students of mine who have grown up with the show. Like I was pointing out earlier, Ellie Moody, who had the piece in the E2CAF uh, 10th anniversary comic, she's tabled at the show almost every year since she was 12 years old. And so now this kid is has buy-in in the sense that she hosted the Kids Comics Awards one year. She's been part of Iron Cartoonist. And her family, because she's been involved, they become advocates for the show. Because why wouldn't they, right? Because they want to advocate for their kid. And so we get all these parents who become like sort of like they're, they're telling all their, their kids' uh, schools and their, their parent groups about this amazing show. So they're bought into the mission of the show because they also want their child to be celebrated and supported um, at these events. So like little Chloe, who was an Iron Cartoonist this year, she had family come out from New York City. You know, they, they flew in from New York to attend a two calf because they want to see their little relative being celebra- uh, celebrated on a stage with, you know, Judd Winnick for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, that's, 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 so, I mean, uh, if I were to unpack that again, I, this was something I just like, it sort of came together. But if I were to reverse engineer it and say like, well, look, going forward with events, if I were to do any new events, I would look for ways to get, different constituencies to sign on to interact with it in some meaningful way that they would want to tell their friends about. And by, by doing that, I've created another mechanism to, we were, I was at, um, this was last year's show. There was, um, the Ann Arbor District Library puts on these talks called Nerd Night Talks. And I did one a couple years back about 80s cartoons. You can find it on YouTube. Um, it's called knowing is half, knowing is half the battle. What 80s cartoons really taught me. Um, and so the library said, hey, why don't we do a comics-themed nerd night where we, because all these, all these cartoonists are coming into town Friday night, 
they can do nerd night talks about whatever they want, but it's just taking advantage of the fact that these cartoonists are in there. Well, after Zach Giolongo did his talk, he did a nerd night talk about um, scary scenes in cartoons and or in in kids movies and how they shaped who he became as a cartoonist. Um, somebody Zach mentioned the oh, I'm going to be at the Annenberg Comic Arts Festival this weekend, and one of the people in the audience said, "Wait a minute, what's that?" You know, they were there for the nerd night talk. They weren't there. They didn't know about E2CAF. And there was a parent in the back row who stood up, and she was a very proud parent of one of the kids who was tabling at the show. And she did this very enthusiastic beautiful uh really well worded and descriptive advertisement for the entire event so that i didn't have to do it right and zach didn't have to do it it was was like a person in the crowd stood up and gave us this amazing um testimonial right on the spot Mm. so Mm. right which becomes a very healthy signal for buy-in yeah i would say yeah (laughs) so that's that's an element of it wow. as well that like I, I would say like if if i again if i were to reverse engineer it i would say that the takeaway is is can you get different constituencies in your community to feel a sense of ownership of the thing um i i had a friend say one time um somebody came to the show who wasn't their behavior was like just off enough that it was like it was like people when they were interacting with people were kind of going like hmm are you really here for the reasons that we're all here and this friend of mine was reporting on something like, I don't know, but that person just gave me kind of a weird vibe. And they're like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, no, because I think that's amazing that you feel such a sense of ownership and proprietorship over the, 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 the tone and the ethos of the show that if somebody doesn't interact with it in the way that is like sort of like implicitly agreed upon by everybody else here, you feel a little bit put out by it. Like that means that you care about this thing and that's really cool. So, and in and, and that way, communities become very self-policing too, right? Yeah, it totally does. I mean, it becomes a group that, uh, I mean, that's, that's invested in cares. And that's, I, I mean, that is a signal of, of creating something that has um, really made some, some, I don't know, some connections where, where people find it important. It's not a transaction. Um, it's not like a, an interesting summer bucket checklist thing to, um, you know, a roadside stop to get a picture at or something. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's not about that. It's not about, um, novelty or convenience or whatever. It's about, uh, meaningful experiences around this, the, being embraced by a community who loves comics and all that, positiveness they can bring to people who are caring to learn and create and encouraging them to become a part of it and saying actually living it and saying well because you're here you're already a part of it and that uh that leaves you with with something that that, i don't know i I, yeah hopefully i hopefully i provided new gushing this episode that's all i that's that's my minor goal of like we're going to talk about a2calf which i'm excited to do yeah i just don't want to be a broken record and it's it's uh there's a it's easy to do because it's it's such a um it is as we've described yeah yeah i mean and 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 it's it's tough to talk about it in I I don't even I guess that is there any value in talking about it in an unbiased way I don't know I, I can't no imagine. yeah um because that's yeah. it's like saying you know what 
um, I have, so, you know, let's say you're, I don't know, whatever parents do this, whatever, but let's say you want to, um, I don't know, analyze something or, or do something caring or, or, or I don't know, help your kid. Right. Would you, oh, does it really benefit them to, to act like you don't love it? Love them. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it helps yeah. the event to say like, yeah, whatever love I have, I'm just going to, I mean, I, yeah, I, <laughs> Yes, it can help the event, whatever, but it's it, it's not the exact same. But but I don't think I think the idea that there's a, there's a bit of mythology around the, the perfection of unbiasedness, which I don't think is achievable. So right, yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah. I appreciate why, why that. worry about it. Um, and I guess if, if I were to close out this section before we get to final thought, I would say that um, this this sort of like mission statement stuff it there's a reason that people put their mission statements on their websites. And there's a reason that like they get repeated a lot at like annual meetings of different organizations is because it's easy to lose track of it or it's easy to assume that your understanding of it is complete. And maybe if you're not examining and evaluating it on a regular basis, maybe you begin to build your own sort of slanted view of what that mission is. And my case in point is is that I feel like I need to do a better job in future shows to communicate the um, advocacy and interactive nature of the festival to new people attending it. Uh, when we were when we so one of the advantages of it being a small show in the first years is that there was a very small pool of people that we did. It was easy to communicate with that group, and there really was a sense of we're building something together. Now that the show is 10 years old and it's like earned a reputation, you know, people all over the country know about it now. Um, they don't necessarily, they're not going through and reading our mission statement and, you know, maybe they're attending the show just because they heard that it's a really fun show, right? Well, mm-hmm. that can mean a lot of things. And you can send a lot of emails that may or may not get read. So one of the things that I think I need to find more more uh, thoughtful and compelling ways to communicate is if you're coming to our show, we want you to uh, – we're going to ask you to do something that's interactive, right? It, at the very least, we want you to be an engaging presence at the table, right? And that's something that I don't feel like a lot of other shows necessarily are they're not explicit about. Like you can, you can go to say um, – you know, a Wizard World show and you know, sit at your table and sketch and that's your prerogative or you could be more engaged at the table that's your prerogative. They're not going to dictate that but we actually are explicit about that. Like we're really looking for people who are there to create meaningful experiences for kids and families and what's more is like I always envisioned a 2CAF as a safe place to learn how to be a teaching artist, right? And in your very, one of your first uh, times there, we, you know, you test ran some workshops, uh, I mm-hmm. think that was at the third year. That was in Chelsea, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chelsea. Let's see. I did. Uh, let's see. Uh, turning jokes into comics. I also did. Uh, uh, storytelling to make your comics UI awesome. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And I remember, like at that show, because it was so, it, again, it was a much smaller show, and I was able to be more present for more stuff there. I remember actually sitting in on your workshop and like giving you notes on it afterwards. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it became one of my photos of of like, look at me, I can do workshops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. And 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 so 
for me as the programming person, one of the things that I always, I, th I think it was more implicit or became more implicit is this show is a place where if you want to get experience doing some kind of presentations, workshops, some kind of interactive experience to possibly take on the road to help promote yourself as an artist, this is a place where not only will you get support from me, the programming person, but the audience is really, really friendly and it's a very forgiving audience and they just want you to succeed. So when you do a quick draw, there's going to be like maybe 30 kids. It's not going to be a huge audience, but they're going to really be there like to, to have a good time. Then I could be there to boo you or to criticize you. Um, so, but I don't think I get that messaging across as well as I could. And I even, I think if I were to build anything new, bring anything new to the show is like, I really wonder about like, what would a training program look like? Where it's like, now you're coming to our show, you get a free table, you get lunch. We just want you to do something interactive. Are you nervous about doing that here? Here's like a couple video courses on how to do this, or maybe even some like you know, like a live stream webinar kind of thing where it's like, okay, everybody, we're going to hang out. We're going to talk about, you know, the things we worry about when it comes to doing a quick draw or something just to make that messaging more explicit of who we're looking for and what we expect from you at the show. Um, I don't know, because that's also a resource to manage is where now we're talking about time, uh, more time that I would be putting into this and would be putting into this without getting paid. So <laughs> yeah, that's tough. It's uh, it, what you're asking. I mean, this is something all organizations once they once they start to get a little more complex, they how how do they disseminate knowledge? How do they um, make behavior repeatable into systems and uh, that are in a, that 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 fit within the whole beliefs and ideas and the mission of of whatever organization? And yeah, we're this is just this is this sounds like a very natural. You know, growing pain saying mm -hmm. like well you identify the need but then now what right mm -hmm. uh, and i wonder i wonder i mean i mean i mean i bet there's a lot of ways to handle that there's you know put your nose to the grindstone put in more hours maybe but there's probably grants and stuff maybe out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah there's maybe ways to make resources available to do this you've certainly proven lots of value and i imagine you could have a testimonial avalanche if you, you know, requested it. So, yeah, yeah. That, it, it, thankfully, we had uh, some documentary documentary filmmakers come out to the show this year to capture a bunch of video and they're actually putting together a documentary about a two calf. So we'll have like this nice short video that encapsulates what the, the variety of experiences at the show and what it means, you know, so that'll be a nice piece to use to going forward to say like, okay, different funding organizations, different potential partners, different potential sponsors. Here's what this thing means because that captures that uh, qualitative data as well as the quantitative. Yes, we get 6,000 something people coming through the doors, but here's look, watch these kids being celebrated. Watch this, this artist engaging with this audience in a really interesting way kind of thing. So yeah, thinking about that too, going forward. Um, Good. That's really great to hear. Um, <laughs> So, so funny there's, uh, there's always, there's always more to dig into this. And I'm wondering, like you mentioned, we're going on to the, the final thought, like we're going to, we're going to call this a podcast soon. If we, <laughs> we do one more thought. <laughs> we're we almost to the point where we dub this a podcast. And once that name <laughs> is, once that name is bestowed, it is done. We just drop the mics and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's part of the ritual, right? It is. Um, so yeah, so this um 
Okay. So getting there, there's this, um, what about the, hmm. So there's sending a signal and there's clearly a group who, who has like, I mean, you've, you've tested this 10 times now hosting this event. There's a group that, that that's growing, that is compatible and interested in like, um, contributing to the common mission. Right. But then I don't know, is like, is there any kind of, um, tension there related to, um, like maybe you've hit a, you're, 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 you're hitting a, a barrier of, of like, it's hard to reach that next wider group or something where there's kind of some, some groups that don't talk to each other, kind of tribalized type stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. So another, so I live in Columbus now and Columbus is the home of the cartoon crossroads, Columbus art festival, comics festival, a, a fantastic show that I cannot, um, I cannot promote enough. I cannot uh, endorse enough. I love it, and it's only been, it's only been like five years old now. Um, but one of the things that they did, a problem they solved that I feel like a two calf attempts to solve, is really celebrating the medium in a way that says that that sends a clear signal to the world that hey, you know what, uh, Stanley, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Matt Fraction, um, Seth. Art Spiegelman, Raina Telgemeier, uh, you know, Ben Hatke, it's all, oh, and uh, Kathy Geisweith, uh, you know, uh, Lynn Johnston, Charles Schultz, it's all just comics. It's all, they're all doing the same thing. And yeah, they're all, they're all doing very different kinds of things. The Tamakis are over here doing their thing, you know, um, Emily Carroll's over here doing that thing. And then you've got like, say like, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of other people I've seen at the show. Um, but you know, oh, uh, Evan Dorkin's over here doing that thing, but they're all telling stories with images and sequence and they're all using the same tools to accomplish the same goal, which is to move audiences. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and that I think is like the, in my opinion, like one of the noblest expressions of love of the medium, right. Is to like really bring them all together in the same place and celebrate them in a, in a very sincere and meaningful way in a very public and front facing way to remind us all that, uh, you know, we're all just making comics. Um, is that enough of a tease for the final thought about, about this, about like, how do you like approach the balkanization of the medium sometimes? Mm. Yeah, let's let's give that a swing. I think we've done. I think we've succeeded. Just like back when we had curveballs as part of how we start the the show, mm-hmm. we've got this um, this this tightrope to walk of of thoughtfulness without falling into an infinite pit of new questions. So <laughs> this will be a toughie. <laughs> infinite pit of new questions. There's another T-shirt by Rob. Uh, <laughs> Whoops, I've fallen into the infinite pit of new questions. The I have curse, more questions. The, the, the curse the curse of curiosity. Um Okay, cool. <clears throat> so in about two minutes, we're going to finish our thoughts on that whole thing. Um mm-hmm. but before we do that, we gotta thank some more people who make this show possible, and those people happen to be us. We make the show possible. We make stuff and then we think about the stuff that we make and we bring these topics to 
the the podcast. And the thing that I work on that I hope you will engage with today is, um, I haven't talked about this in a while, uh, Amazon Academy, this webcomic I'm making with Dan Mishkin, uh, where the first issue has been collected in print and you can actually get it. You can purchase it. And what is it? It's three ninety nine for a 24-page full-color comic about... Uh, a girls' school. Uh, the, the really short, crass uh, elevator pitch for this is that it's um, Harry Potter, but with Amazons. So it's like a school where young girls go to learn the ways of Amazons, and of course, because of that, there's Greek mythology stuff right there on the cover. We see a Pegasus, right? And uh, here we go. I'm trying to get like so, but it's it's uh, I don't know. It's it's how do I describe it? It's a school filled with mysteries and magic and cool kids all learning to get along, American kids and Amazon kids learning how to get along and uh, uncovering the secrets of the school together. So uh, it's amazonacademy.net is the website if you want to read the online comic. But if you want to purchase it, you can go to indieplanet.com and do a search for Amazon Academy. Do a search for my name and you will find it there. Rob, um, you made a workshop. Oh, yeah. So I put out a workshop via the platform called Skillshare. And, well, this is a, it's 47 minutes to really cram in a whole bunch of ideas and handy tips and techniques about drawing user journey maps. And honestly, like, what's a user journey map? Oh, it's like a sequence of events that happen from the point of view of, of whoever you're serving with the system, the product, the service, the thing that you make. And putting yourself into that, your audience's shoes is so powerful and really important. And it's a cornerstone of user-centered design. And that's this this is meant for uh, people at all different stages, but meant to be very approachable and welcoming for folks that are just getting started in this. And a lot of the the power comes from uh, like the leveling up with the collaboration of saying like, well, yeah, we're in the shoes. We see things from from this you know this um, our audience's perspective, but then when we look at ourselves and our goals and how we're trying to make things better. Um, what happens when we think to look at things from like the design perspective, the business perspective, and also uh, the engineering or the maker perspective, right? And so much happens where you you end up getting this more whole formed, wider point of view. And it becomes more apparent of like what you could do next to make things better. And so it's that collaborative upgrade that happens. And honestly, even if you're working on a solo project and you want to just be thorough to say like, well, I'm wearing this hat now, what do I care about making better and whatnot? And so it's about just being more uh, well-informed, inclusive as you design systems. And so that's what this is about, designing user experiences to gather ideas and collaborate this workshop that uh, you can get to pretty easily by going to robstenzinger.com. And there's a link right on my homepage to take you straight there. And if you do, if you're new to Skillshare and you sign up with that link, you get two free months. So it's pretty cool. Skillshare is this platform that it's kind of like, in a way it's like a Netflix for learning, right? So, so there's no extra fee for the different classes and the things in the platform. Once you're signed up and you're, you're a, a user paying user of that, it, you have access to everything. And again, two free months. So yeah, come on in, join us and, and uh, you know, be great to see you there. So. And I, I would say, suggest that this would probably be a tool that one could apply 
if you uh, were at all curious and interested in the last like 30 minutes of the discussion we were having today, right? Um, building mm-hmm. an event, a user journey map is like, how, what is the experience we want the public to have with this thing? What is the experience that we want to have in the making of this thing, right? Um, this mm-hmm. would be a, a, a 47, you say 47 minutes, 47 minute class yeah. to help you model the the proposed activity and learn more about what you want and what you want your users to experience. So uh, robstenzinger.com. All right, but if you're here because you like the things that we talk about more than the stuff that we make on the outside, well, first of all, I would say Rob's Skillshare class is very much like this show, just minus minus my uh, manic laughter in interrupting Rob every <laughs> once in a while. But um, there's I, more things. I mixed it in, actually, in the background. So. Oh, did you? Oh, good. Good, because everybody should hear my laughter all the time. Uh, LeanIntoArt.com slash workshops is where you can find some self-contained videos that you can download at a price of your choosing, even free. Uh, If you're watching this video on YouTube, giving it a thumbs up right now helps more people find the show. And if you're listening to it in a podcast app, um, giving us a five-star review wherever you listen to us, whatever directory you use to listen to us helps more people find the show as well. It means a lot to us. Thank you to everybody who has been doing that. It's really cool to, you know, a great free thing you can do is just tell other people about the show. Yep, it helps. It really does help a lot. Uh, Okay, one more. Speaking of helping a lot. Mm-hmm. So, final thought? So, how do you do what CXC did by like having all of these different parties represented and celebrated? Um, and it's especially challenging with a 2CAF because um, we're asking everybody to be interactive in some way. Um, so, Dan is really good at Dan Michigan, I'm saying, is really good at finding ways to be explicit in describing to the people at the show the day of, but also in the weeks leading up to the show, that we're all in this together. This is us all embarking on some kind of, I don't want to use the word adventure, that sounds a little bit too trite, too pat, but like there's a happening is going to happen, and we're all a part of this happening, right? Um, <laughs> and And... I feel like uh, there there are communities within comics as a medium that are largely unaware of one another. Um, you know, you I have I have you know friends who are like you know they don't know they'll complain about the comics industry saying like oh well the problem is that kids aren't reading comics anymore. And I'll be like hello, there's this whole area over here where like the book publishers are doing comics that lots of kids are reading. You know, and then there's people in the the book comics world who don't know a whole bunch of people that I know in the direct market, you know, Wednesday comic book floppy books world. Um, And so there's the messaging part that we have to do in like going around and thanking everybody at A2CAF and making them feel like they're being celebrated and like, oh, did you do to know each other? Do people know each other? Like we, we also like think really hard about where we place everybody in the artist alley. So like, will these people will these people get along? Um, do they seem like they'd be compatible people or do we not want to put like these two books together because they're too similar and like put them farther apart? Um, but then there's another aspect where it's like we have to do our part to go out and look for guests who represent those different worlds, right? Like going out and, and you know, sitting down together as a group saying like, well, if we get Lucy Nisley, she brings this kind of audience to the show. What happens 
who else can we find that reaches out to this other constituency, right? Um, and how can we have, how can we be more proactive in bringing that kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word representation because that might imply different things, although we are thinking about that too. Um, but like, how can we get a group of artists or, or authors who are friendly to kids, teens, and families, but also represent the different worlds of the comics? And, and one of the things that Dan always brings up in our meetings is like, you know, an area that we don't bring in as much as we could is superhero people, right? People who make superhero comics. So we're always talking about that internally. Like, how can we be more active in making sure that these different constituencies, different constituencies, these different authors from different quote unquote worlds of comics feel welcome here and feel invited to at our show. Um, and, simultaneously make sure that they are people who can be very engaging and very personable with young people and create meaningful experiences. So like there's a lot in the rubric that we're considering all the time. Right. Um, and it's, it's something that requires a lot of active thinking and discussion. So. Hmm. So that's, I mean, you named a lot of, um, like, like pieces of an ecosystem is what I heard mm. because you have, you have the different, um, the different methods of comic, uh, business, different business models, essentially. Like this is how the problem of eating while be- making comics is solved, right? Both individually and collectively where organizations have different focuses and, um, distribution mechanisms that are associated with those focuses and you know that's evolving over time whereas there's more and more borrowing and cross-pollinating but there's still some essentially where people get paid from creates a community that uh, for for them that community may then overlap or not with your mission-based community so there's you know I don't know. I haven't examined that part of the ecosystem. If that, like how, how does that, that overlap those different groups um, and what population pops up there? And then would they survive the, 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 the curation? Right. And uh, it makes it sound so dark. Will you survive the curation? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this I don't know Tuesday why I said it like CW. Will you survive the curation? Yeah. I don't have a table. Oh no. (laughs) I didn't survive the curation. But yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that is that is a very, I think, apt description of what is going through our minds when we're doing this. So like for instance, when you when we brought Wendy and Richard Peeney, creators of ElfQuest to A two calf, you know, they do the con circuit. They travel all across the country all the time. And Mm -hmm. I was curious, like, how is this gonna work with them? going to the more um, traditional mainstream comic shows where there's like uh, a lot of cosplay, movie actors, the Batmobile is there, that kind of thing. How are they going to feel about our show, which is much more smaller in scope? It's much more focused on interaction and and uh, like you know events than it is about sitting at a table and selling and getting pictures taken, you know? And uh, it, one of the most gratifying things uh, Richard Peeney said to me is he, he said, uh, you know, we've been to a lot of shows. We've never been to one like this. 
and we feel very celebrated and very honored. And this is definitely a weekend for the history books as far as we're concerned. And then I, and I smile and I'm about to say like to him, like, like, wow, thank you so much. He's like, but it's very loud. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was like, in, that, in that way, it was even more of a compliment, right? Because it's like, yeah, like we, we turn it up to 11 when we celebrate our love of the medium here, you know? And he's, he, he described me as relentlessly cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that is, that's a yeah. solid type, you know, <laughs> relentlessly true. Uh, but, but, yeah. so, but it was cool to get their perspective on this and, and see how they fit into it. Right. Like they found, they found a, their space in this space. And I mean, part of that was because we were being very careful and, and, uh, thoughtful about making sure that they were you know, reassured and reminded, um, that we were really happy to have you here. And, you know, Dan, like I said, does his part to interact with as many guests as possible to remind them that you are part of a thing today. Thank you for being part of this thing today. You know, you belong here. Um, uh, so that makes sense. I mean, once they're in the there, you know, once someone's fully in the event, it's like you're you're going to be immersed in the culture, and mm-hmm. so yeah, you've got those mechanisms down. Mm-hmm. But what I was hearing is it's almost like you have a like an unresearched set of questions related to the overlap of these communities. And, you know, like that could be some market research that would help, um, you know, show potential there or not. But then there's also the, um, it's almost like you're, you're thinking that maybe it's almost like you can love comics harder, right? (laughs) If by, and, and that will be accomplished through, including these other um th- what's become apparent that that there's there's there you've got missing pieces of your map in your comics world map mm-hmm. if you include those pieces it's probably going to be better maybe right mm-hmm. but but why right <clears throat> that's what so it's almost like you're forming that it's it's like again thinking of a like I have an existing product and I want to improve it and I've got some ideas and they're right now the ideas are hunches and I need, you know, exploring that further to make it into something that could be, could be explored and tested intentionally. And it's, and it's, I think it's guided by a principle in that it's not just trying to make this thing, all things for all people, because that would not be a very good thing. Um, or at least it'd be, I, I can't imagine how that would be a good thing. And that's where I thought you were going at first yeah. too. Yeah, no, but, that's, that's not. But the, I guess yeah. No. The goal is is to say how can we make sure that everybody. That, so I was just listening to this interview with Gary Goldman, the stand up comic, who was talking about like how he leaves some jokes in his act that don't get big laughs, but he's thinking about that one kid who's listening to the comedy album over and over again and is laughing his head off at that specific joke and wondering why did nobody else think this is as funny as he did or she did, right? Um, <laughs> And I think about how there is somebody in every corner of the comics universe, comics markets and and communities who like they are head over heels, super into horror manga. Right. And like this is the thing that connects them with the medium and they love the medium the way I love the medium. But they just happen to be that was their entry point. That's the world that they know about and they don't know the other parts yet. Right. So my thinking is, again, speaking only for myself, is 
instead of making all things for all people, how do we make this thing so that it has an entry point for everybody who has this? I'm always thinking about that person who really, really loves it, but they, there's nobody else around them who loves it the way they love it, right? And can we create an event where they can find the people who love it the way they love it, even if they're not loving the same kinds of comics as them? Does that make sense? It does, but that sounds like it's getting to like um, <clears throat> a fully, um, let's see, all ages, all themes, not emphatically for kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that where you're going? Maybe. Okay. You know? Because it sounds, yeah. So, but see, if, if it was somebody who was just doing like horror manga, let's say, okay, they would, we would make sure that another part of the rubric would be are they an engaging presence? Would they create meaningful experiences for their audience, right? Because um, I would also argue that horror manga is not just for adults. It would probably be for a lot of teens and probably preteens because that is something that I think, like, you know, middle schoolers get very, very excited about that genre of fiction. Like, when you read mm-hmm. things like the Divergent series, Insurgent series, or the Hunger Games, that's some brutal stuff in those books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily call it horror, but, I mean, it's intense. And it's, or things like Danganronpa. Danganronpa is like, you know, all the rage with 13-year-olds that I work with. Um, when you look at what that, that, that uh, visual novel slash game is about, it's, it's brutal, you know? What is it? Danganronpa? Uh, Danganronpa? Danganronpa? Yeah, uh, it is a sort of visual novel slash game. And the premise is, is that these teenagers are kidnapped by this demonic teddy bear named Monokuma, and they're put inside this building. And I'm, I'm totally going gonna, gonna to whiff on the description of this, but it, the, the essential premise, I know I'm going to get lots of corrections on this, but uh, it's like try to survive the night kind of thing, um, be the last survivor. And so these kids start murdering each other. And the thing is, if, if you get away with it, you get to escape. But if you get caught, Monokuma is going to kill you with a punishment that is somehow themed to your character. So like there's a baseball playing character in the game who gets killed, but spoilers, he gets killed by like a, a baseball pitching machine that pummels him to death with baseballs kind of thing. So it's like partially, it's like partially silly and comical and whimsical, but it's also like really dark and gruesome. Uh, and so you say that out loud and you're like, yeah, 13 year olds are super into this. And you're like, Ooh, is that okay? And I'm like, well, think about it when you're in middle school. Now you're in this environment where, uh, you maybe, uh, are get, there's new classmates. Maybe you went to a different school because it's a lot of times they go from different elementary school to different middle school. Now you got all these new people to meet. If you reveal anything about yourself and if you get caught revealing anything about yourself that is sometimes tantamount to social suicide and the stakes can feel that intense to you when you are that young and you're experiencing this stuff for the first time so you look at this horror game slash visual novel thing and it's like this resonates this feels true and also feels slightly subversive or a little bit transgressive i probably shouldn't be watching this right so like the moment mm-hmm. I came across it, I went through this whole fleet of emotions where I'm like, is it okay that kids are into this? And then I thought about it, I'm like, actually, that sounds right. And I don't think there's anything like dangerous about this. I feel like this is like a safe kind of uh, fantasization for what those kids are going through at that age. So, right. So like, so when you say like it's becoming all themes for all people, maybe, but if we find the right people who represent that corner and they transmit that enthusiasm and that inclusiveness and that in- invitation to participation, then they can be appropriate even for families. Mm. Lucy, Nisman, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. yeah, I mean, this sounds like you're you're. It's like you're leaving no stone unturned about your mission, saying that 
we've we we have a pretty good map, but it could be better. And this is yeah. So I don't know. This is interesting thinking that I don't know if it means. Um, uh, I'd have to to do some thinking about the words and etymology of tribalization, balkanization, or whatever. But like to me, it's the it's the industrialization that just creates pockets, right? People mm-hmm. are busy doing their work, right? Mm-hmm. And however they're getting funded, I think ha- creates some natural uh, separations of mm-hmm. fo- time and focus. It's like, oh, this is who I'm doing business with, so they get my time, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like a, a, I don't. Know. Seems pretty interesting because it sounds like there's a, this incidental group that might be out there. Um, mm. I don't know. And, and I don't know. Do you, my last question is how sure are you of this? Or is this, is this a hunch or, or how, how have you, have you seen examples that made you go, uh oh, that, yep, we got, we for sure have these blank parts on our map. And I know that there's the, the right the, um, parts of our community are out there and they don't realize it. And we so, don't realize it. So I would say this idea was tested by bringing Wendy and Richard Peeney to the show this year. And there were there was a question mm-hmm. of they represent and th- their work represents um, it's historic and it's historical in that. Yeah. Yes, they just finished it. But like it's like when you think of ElfQuest, you think of people who were engaging with comics as young people in the 70s and 80s and maybe the 90s, right? So, like, when I told Zach Gialongo the Peenies are coming, he's like, oh, my God, you know, they're, like, a profound influence on who I am as an artist. So the question was was raised, and I think it was relatively fair, is, is this a team that is going to come in and only be of interest to the tabling artists, right? Are we bringing in the artists' artists? Or is this somebody who has, are these people who have a lot of appeal to even the younger audiences who come to our show? Wendy and Richard go do their talk at Incubate, and that room was packed. There was like 60 people in the room, and it ranged from people who were, and these are all super fans. These are people who are breaking down and crying upon meeting Wendy for the first time, right? And we're talking about 65-year-old women all the way down to 12- and 13-year-old kids who are going up to them and saying, oh, my gosh, ElfQuest is a profound you know, uh, book in my life for these reasons, right? Um, that was a pocket that Ann and I had a very strong hunch that yes, this, I bet you if we bring them, we're going to find out entire constituencies in Ann Arbor that didn't feel a need to come day two cat before who will now be able to come and experience the event in its, you know, experience the, the spirit of the event, but through these two very engaging, wonderful people who, um, you know, one normally wouldn't associate with a, a kid's, a kid's show. Hmm. When do you what a neat signal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, that, it's just that, so funny how that can, that can come in. So that, so you had a hunch and that was part of the whole, including, including the different dish kind of guest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, and, and I think that that, that test should be repeated and we're probably not always going to hit it, but you know, I think that we have a lot of mechanisms and systems in place to help us test our ideas before we, you know, like to pre-test our ideas and to check ourselves before we commit to the final actual laboratory test, as it were. So <laughs> that's pretty great. Sounds like the it's ten years um, and has evolved a lot, and sounds like it'll continue to. That's pretty. It's pretty powerful. That's the hope. Um, 
So I think we did a podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Jersey. <laughs> All right. So here's to another 10 years of A2CAF, uh, with or without me. I don't know how much longer I'll be involved. <laughs> God willing, you know, as long as possible. But, you know, it's like it's also a thing that I, I hope more people will come on and, and carry the, the banner going forward. The goal is, you, again, you want to render yourself obsolete. Um, okay. I think that is that a, is that a weird idea to close on? I don't think so. I think it was. Uh, I don't think it's a weird idea. I, I've, I mean, since we're here still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we take it because of our relationship with solving problems that it feels good to not be forever admired in the same problem. It's yeah. like you, you get to move on when you've solved it well. You get to move on when you've solved things sustainably. And, mm-hmm. and these are signals of the quality of our work and, and being of service and connecting in a meaningful way. And that is, um, that's a positive outcome. It, feeling wanted and, and going through that experience, it, we, can, we, can get a, we can have a, a um, sort of a, a fixed mindset if, if we're like, Oh, you know, my next cool thing, my next problem, it, it won't appear or it's not apparent or what have you, but you know, it's there and, and there's, there's new ways to spread what you're, what you've provided and whatnot too. So, so moving, solving something so it's possible to move on is, is not just like a sort of brutal, elegant idea. That is what we missed at A2CAF this year, Rob. <laughs> By the way, that is exactly <laughs> it. All right. That was a g- great place to close. So we record the show every Thursday at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. We stream it live on YouTube and then collect it as a podcast at leanintoart.com and patreon.com slash leanintoart. We will be back with another episode soon. Until then, I have been Jersey Drozd of leanintoart.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. Well, and I've been Rob Stenzinger, also of leanintoart.com, and I'm on Instagram, also as my name. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at leanintoart.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user leanintoart, and you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com. And remember, leaners aren't wieners. Thanks for listening.